Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome. Welcome to a, another one of our church at home services, an opportunity for you to have church, a service spent and dedicated together around the word there, right where you are in your home with the people who you love. Today's a, a precious day. It's Mother's Day. And from my side, as on behalf of all of the husbands, all of the men, we want to say thank you to the moms. There really is no greater love than the love of a mother, and we want to honor you, we want to thank you, we want to lift your hands up today, we want to bless you. Guys, and any children watching this, if you haven't yet, make a plan to really bless those moms, to lift up their hands, to make their day precious and special. We'd love to give you a chocolate today, we'd love to give you a flower, I'd love to do that for you today, obviously it's not possible, I can't quite beam them across to you at the TV screens, but I do want you to know that we honor you and we love you as mothers for the incredible gift that you are, the way that you pour into the lives of your children. Thank you so much for that. To every one of you watching this, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I don't know quite how we say that. We don't really tune into a YouTube video, but, but thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to click to be part of our story together today. Thank you to all of the members in our church for your continued faithfulness in following Jesus. Thank you for your continued faithfulness in worship and in reading the word in prayer, in giving, giving of yourself and giving of your finance. I had the incredible privilege just this last week of going together with an organization that distributes food to some of the townships in the area and just getting a bit of the lay of the land of where we would be able to contribute and play our part as a part of the church in the city to, to love the last and the least of these, to distribute food packages. And for the members of our church in the next while, there'll be more information about that that will be circulating to you. We'd love for you to be part of that. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for continuing to be the church. Thank you for continuing to love one another. Thank you. And so this year, we have been spending a lot of time in the book of 1 John. We've used that as a little bit of a template to help us to read the Bible, to read it well. Paul writes to Timothy and he says that Timothy must be a worker who rightly divides the word of truth. And one of the most important skills, one of the biggest graces that we have as believers is the opportunity to read scripture, to study scripture. And we've been taking a bit of time to, to do that, to learn to do that, to practice in doing that we started, obviously, in 1 John chapter 1. And in that chapter, I, I gave us sort of five points practically as we allow the Word to read us. It's so important that in our reading of the Word that we understand that, that it's not only about our reading the Word, but it's allowing the Word to read us. It's allowing God to speak to us through His Word. It's not only about intellectual knowledge, but really engaging with the Word. And the first thing that we, we mentioned is to pray. And so I'd like to ask before we go any further, if we could bow our heads together for a moment of prayer. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you are good. Firstly, Lord, I want to thank you for all of the moms that are listening, all of the moms that you've given in our lives, the blessings that they are to us. And we want to pray grace and favor over them, God. We pray that today you really would just, in a little bit more than you normally would, just demonstrate your love towards them, God. Give us grace that we may demonstrate our love and our appreciation to them too. God, we pray that as we spend time in your word today, would you cause your word to speak to us? Would you cause your light to shine upon our hearts? Would you cause your spirit to bring revelation to us, to open the eyes of our understanding, Jesus, that we may know you more and that we may grow not only in our knowledge of you, but in our love for you and in our awareness of your love toward us. We consecrate, we dedicate, we commit this time to you. And we ask that as you always do, that you would speak to us. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we do whenever we approach Scripture is, is to pray. It's important, and I want to say this again, that as we read Scripture, I guess the first thing to do and the first thing to know is to read it. <laughs> sort of goes without saying, but sometimes we miss just the reality of reading Scripture. Do it. Read Scripture. Read it often. And as you read it, I like this little catchphrase. I'd say, simply read it and read it simply. Simply read it. Simply read Scripture. And as you simply just read Scripture, read it simply. Don't try and complicate it. Scripture isn't meant to be complicated. We're going to look a little bit later. There are, there are parts that are hard to understand, but it's not complicated as such. Normally, the vast majority of times, the most obvious interpretation of Scripture is the most accurate interpretation of Scripture. When John, as we're going to see now, writes to us to love God, he means we should love God. When he says that we should obey his commandments, he means that we must obey his commandments. When Scripture says that we should repent and be baptized, it means that we should repent and be baptized. When Scripture says we should love our neighbor, it means that we should love our neighbor. When it means that husbands must love our wives as Christ loves the church, it means that husbands, we must love our wives as Christ loves the church. Too often we try and complicate it. We try and work around the simple but the hard truths that Scripture holds before us. Simply read it and read it simply. And as you read it, we want to engage with Scripture. We want to allow Scripture to speak to us, to study us, to shine its light on our hearts, to show us something of Jesus, but also as, as a mirror and as we see ourselves in the mirror of the glory of God, we realize what is the work that Christ needs to come and continue to do in our hearts and in our lives. So as we do that, the first time we looked at 1 John, I still remember we spoke about the verse that sort of stood out for me there was as John writes, he says, I write this message to you that our joy may be full. And I continue to pray that, that as we study the word, that our joy may be full. The first thing we do is, is we pray. And then we simply read Scripture. Just read the passage. Once we've read it, a good way to do a study, just a simple study, but such a powerful study to engage with Scripture, is then to go back and to ask, what passage stood out for me? What in this passage, this chapter, this book, whatever that I read today, what is it that, that stood out for me that just piqued my interest a little bit more than the rest? Then go back to that passage and ask, what does it actually say? What does it say? Read into it, study it, 
repeated a couple of times. Is what I originally thought it said, is it what it actually says? Critically read it, prayerfully read it. And then once you've understood what it actually says, the next question is, okay, so what does it imply that I should do? What should my response be? How do I apply this to my life? That is a fantastic way. And if we would do that regularly as we read Scripture, I believe that our interpretation and our application of Scripture would be so much better. We spent in some of the other chapters in 1 John, we looked a little bit at, at taking a word or a theme, a concept that piques our interest that we find in Scripture and looking at some other opportunity or some other occurrences of that theme. I remember we took the idea that God is favored towards us. That God smiles upon us, we saw that. And we took that passage, that little phrase as it were, and we spent a bit of time looking at its occurrence in the rest of Scripture. What does Scripture teach us about God having favor upon us and us finding, finding favor with God. Yaku did something similar when he took the idea that God wants us to love one another. And he took the one another thoughts and what are all of the things or many of the things that scripture holds before us about one another and caring for one another, casting, praying for one another, casting our burdens upon one another, sharing with one another, giving to one another. And a fantastic message that he shared with us around that. And so I'd like us to do that this morning to read scripture together, to read from the book of 1 John, chapter 5. And if you have your Bible with me, you can, with you rather, you're welcome to turn to that chapter. It will be on the screen as well. And let's take time and read through this passage together. And after that, I'm going to give you some time to go through these three questions in your group. So our time today might be a little bit different to the way it's normally been. It's going to be very interactive. If you're by yourself, you can work through notes. If you're in a small group with your family, take a bit of time and share together. But let's first read 1 John chapter 5 together. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is true. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And so I'd like you to take a moment now in your groups, or as I mentioned earlier, by yourself in a notebook. Take a bit of time, and if you need to scan through that passage again and answer these three questions. What stood out for you? What is the passage, the, the piece, the verse, the word, the thought that piqued your interest, that just stirred your spirit? You're like, whoa, that, there's something there that I need to zoom into. Take a bit of time now and do that. Share that with one another. And then dig into that and say, okay, but what does this actually say? Not what did I originally think it said, but let me get an accurate understanding of what this piece, this idea, this thought is conveying. And then work through that towards that question. Okay, so what is my response to that? Take as long as you need for that. Pause the message while you're doing that and then you just hit play again once you're done. Fantastic. I trust that that was an incredible time of, of just sharing together, of exposing our hearts to one another and allowing the word to shine his light into our hearts. Continue doing that regularly, reading the word and engaging with it, asking God, what is it, Lord, that you are saying to me through your word today? I'd like us now just to take a time, a type of a, a jog through this passage and share some thoughts around that. But I want us to think today a little bit about using commentaries. I have a, a study Bible here. The one that I have is the Nelson Study Bible. It's a New King James Version. There's some fantastic study Bibles. If you're looking to buy one, if you want to put out some money towards something, the ESV Study Bible is a really well-known and, and well-regarded study Bible. The other commentaries that you can read. And as we study Scripture, it's important to know that there are many others who have studied Scripture a lot longer and not only deeper than us, but have just a little bit of a different insight towards the Scriptures, and it, we can learn from them. I wouldn't start by going to the commentaries. I'd start by asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us first. Otherwise, it is so easy to get into the intellectual theology and the wording and 
we miss a little bit of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We start by God, what are you saying to me? And then we move a little bit towards the teaching and a deeper understanding and trust that that will confirm and amplify that which the Spirit has been saying to us. And for something like that, a study Bible, a good commentary will help. And you can download many from the internet. They're great ones on different books and different topics. As we are approaching commentaries, there's a note here that is applicable, I guess, to the way we use our social media as well. Don't only be drawn towards the commentary of the person who shares the one thing that, that you really want to hear. Understand that there are many people who have spent a lot of time studying and dedicated their lives to understanding the Scriptures. Have respect for that. And let's also look at what we would term expert opinion. Those who, who love the Word and who study the Word. And when there's a consensus, we know there's something there. It's amazing to me on social media how we, we love to sort of share that, that one fringe view video, the, the one that's a little bit weird and a little bit loony, but it, hey, we like what they say. We forget that there are hundreds of other people who disagree with them, but, but we like this one and, and we're going to share this because this one person who nobody else believes, we're going to choose to believe them. Let's be discerning, not only in our social media, but even more so in our commentary of the word. And so let's read 1 John chapter 5 just a little bit. I'm going to break it down and share some ideas just from this commentary as a help into how we use commentaries, how we approach commentaries, and how we allow commentaries to inform our time in the word. Whoever believes, John chapter 5 verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. This is a theme that we've seen all the way through 1 John chapter 5, the keeping of God's commandments. So often when we hear commandments, we hear the word burden, we hear the word weight, we hear the word law. And I love how, how, one, how John anticipates this for us because in the next verse he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments aren't hard. They may be hard against our own will because we want to do something to what God has called us to do. Man, I really like, I'm so drawn to that woman, but she's married to a different man. So easy. She's not the person that God's called you to love. It's called adultery. It might seem hard when you're really drawn to her, when she's so attractive, when there's something that you so like in her, but God's commandments aren't, bur aren't burdensome. There's something beautiful and precious when we just embrace it and we say, God, I'm going to do this the right way. God, there's an easy way for me to take a bunch of money and no one will ever know. God's commandments aren't burdensome. Simply obeying him leads to life. We'll see that in a moment. But this is a theme which recurs all through 1 John and once again, as we're studying Scripture, that's one of the things we're looking for. What are the themes? What are the, the patterns that repeat? In just a few moments, we're going to watch a great video that will help with that just a little bit. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I believe now, as much as any time in history, the world is looking to a people of faith. Are we going to be a people of fear, a people who stand up and say how bad and how evil and how hard this world is to live in? 
I see people beginning to speak about the end times and the Antichrist, and those are all realities and those are all true. We are called to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep that in mind. Keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We'll see that now. Let's make that our testimony. Let's be a people of faith who say that we will overcome this world. We are not in this world. Sorry, we are not of this world, but we're in this world. And we've been sent into this world. And you know what overcomes this world? Our faith. We believe Jesus. We follow Jesus. We hold on to Jesus. We cry out to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let us be believers. It's so easy in this time to, to be skeptics, to be questioners, to be people who have questions around everything, who seeking holes and prodding. But we can be believers. I choose to be a believer. I choose to believe firstly in Jesus, the risen Son of God. Let's be believers. Let that be our testimony. Let that be our faith. We believe. We believe in His goodness. We believe in His grace. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in life. We are people who are believers more than anything in Jesus. But we are people who are people of faith, which overcomes this world. And then he carries on and he, he speaks and says, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And he has a great example where often we would turn to a commentary. We would read something which isn't simple and which isn't clear. It's not something that we speak of often that somebody came by water and blood. So, so what does this mean? How do we understand this better? And it's exactly there where a commentary is very helpful. As this commentary says, water and blood have been interpreted in at least four ways. Firstly, as Jesus' baptism and his death. Secondly, as his incarnation. Thirdly, as the water and the blood that flowed from his side on the cross. And fourth, the baptism of the believer in the Lord's Supper. Most scholars favor the first interpretation. And John here is correcting the false teacher, Serenthus, who claimed that the Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism, but left him before his death. This gives us great insight into that passage. Some people who've taken that wording, looked a little bit at the history and the context around it, and helps us understand. A good commentary like this one won't be an absolutist commentary. It won't say that this is the only possible interpretation. Here it gives us four different interpretations, four ways in which scholars have read this authentically. And then it says that the majority view is this one. This is the one that, that most people believe. It doesn't mean it's the only one. It doesn't mean necessarily it's the correct one. But there's weight behind that one. And that's a great way in which to engage with the commentary. And then to pray and say, God, but what is it once again, God, that you are saying? The water and the blood? Jesus being baptized. Jesus laying down his life in that context. And that all righteousness may be fulfilled. Identifying with the Father, receiving the Father's affirmation in that moment as he puts on sonship, but then also his death, the blood that washes away our sin. It's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, who we know is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful example of the Trinity right there. 
and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, and then it speaks about the fact that God's witness is greater, that we would listen to what people share with us and how people testify of Jesus or whatever it may be. God's witness is so much greater, and the Spirit leads us into truth in that area. And then verse 11, I want us to look at that, sorry, look at that, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him. My translation here is with a capital H, clarifying that that him is referring to God. If we do not believe in God, what does that mean? It means that we have made him a liar. Because he, that the person who doesn't believe, has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Earlier in the book, we saw the contrast between deceiving and lying, being deceived when I think I am right. And now we're accusing God and we're making God to be a liar if we don't believe in his son. It carries on along that thought. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This might very well be the most politically incorrect statement in all of Scripture. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Let us never ever lose our evangelistic impetus. Let us never ever think that somebody is okay because their bank account is okay. They're okay because there's food in their cupboard. They're okay because there's clothing. They're okay because they have an education. They're okay because their family seems to be okay. Their marriage seems to be okay. Their career seems to be okay. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If we truly love people, if, if we truly care for people, we cannot lose this reality that if I'm without the Son of God, we do not have life as God defines it. And these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God wants you to know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. We call this assurance of salvation. You can know that you are saved. You can know that you have eternity with the Father. Scripture says it so clearly for us here. The whole sort of focus of, of this thought is moving to this point. As John is saying, I want you to know that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You can hold on to that. You can know that your time on this earth is not all that there is, that there is eternity with Jesus. There is life with Him. There is hope with Him. There is a life without sin, a life without a coronavirus, a life with no lockdown, a life of wholeness in His presence. You can know that. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, if we know that we are His Son, if we know that we have eternal life, we can have confidence, and because we have that confidence, we can ask Him anything. And when we ask Him, He hears us. And we know that, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have that which we have asked of Him. 
Let's have faith in our prayers. If we're praying to a big God, we might as well be praying big prayers. Our prayer changes things. Hold on to that. Press into that. And if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask in prayer, and God will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. But there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. And here, once again, we don't have time today, but this would be a great passage to dig into the commentaries about what is a sin that, that leads to death? What is a sin that doesn't lead to death? It says here that if we see somebody sinning, we should be praying for them. I'm amazed how quick all of us, I include myself, when we see someone sinning, we judge them. We want to correct them. We want to fix them. Scripture says we should pray for them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't go and speak to them too. But our starting point should be in speaking to God about them, praying for them, bringing them before the Father. And then he ends with three statements, three things we know. We know. We know, he says. And so John, he's written this book, and we'll see in a moment, it's sort of a poetic sermon. It's more than just a letter. It's a type of sermon in which he repeats the same themes in a type of circular fashion and sort of zooms in and every time just a little bit more detail and clarifies just a little bit what he said the first time. And right at the end, he, he ends with these three statements about knowing, three things that we can know, three things that I hope and pray that as a believer in Jesus, you know and are settled in your heart. The first one, we know, verse 18, that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, obviously, it's not saying he's not saying here that we never commit acts of sin because the verse just before this, it's spoken about a brother who is sinning. He's not saying that we never sin, but he's saying we don't live a life of sin. We're not committed to habitual sin. We keep ourselves, we committed to following Jesus. And the enemy, he doesn't have control over us. He doesn't dictate to us. He doesn't continue to lead us in sin. We know that. I hope you know that. Secondly, we know that we are of God. You are of God. You as a believer in Jesus Christ are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know. I want to just emphasize that for a moment. We know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This is true. There are evil people all around under the sway of the wicked one. Don't be intimidated by it. Every circumstance, every situation, whether it was ancient cultures, do yourself a favor and read up a little bit about Roman history. There is nothing new under the sun. There are evil people who try and accomplish evil. There is an evil devil, the wicked one, Scripture calls him here. The whole world lies under the sway of him. They are led by him. They are drawn by him. We don't have to be intimidated by it. We don't have to be fearful of that. Remember, we overcome the world by faith. Faith in the name of Jesus. We are of God. But the world is under the sway of the wicked one. We are not necessary. We are not meant to be 
under the sway of the wicked one. That is for the world. We are led by the Spirit of the living God. And then thirdly, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. God has come that you may have understanding of eternal life. God has come that you may know of your salvation in Christ. God has come that you may know you are in Him, of Him, part of Him, led by Him, loved by Him. God wants you to have that understanding, not to be swayed by nice stories and, as James speaks about, wind and waves of doctrine swayed to and fro. I had a, a bit of a laugh on my Facebook timeline just recently. You know, a couple of weeks ago, some people were telling us that even coronavirus, it's not a real thing. It's just sort of the effects of 5G. And now a couple of weeks later, those same people are saying, no, it, it, it's a real virus, but we don't actually, it's people who don't want us to get healed because they want to get money from it. And in between, it was released by a lab in China. And some other stories along the way as well. And there may be elements of truth to all of that, but we don't have to be swayed by that. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have an understanding that we may know him who is true. Jesus is true. And just as some of us are tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine around some coronavirus or whatever it may be, today it's this story, tomorrow it's that story. Let's not let our faith go that same way. Where today it's this thing and tomorrow it's that. And now it's this preacher, tomorrow it's that book. Now it's this YouTube video and tomorrow it's that podcast. Yes, there are great books and great YouTube videos, great podcasts. They should strengthen us. They should establish every one of them. Let's not be people who oscillate between different doctrines and different teachings. And then right at the end, it's amazing to me that this whole sermon is ended with a warning. Let's not forget the warnings of Scripture. John ends and he says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's an encouragement and it's a warning. Keep yourself from idols. The whole book is summarized in these few words. Let everything we do have our hearts focused on loving Jesus. Knowing Him, following Him. I'd like us to watch this video as a, a summary of this book to help us in our understanding of reading this text well. The letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John is actually anonymous, but 2nd and 3rd John are written by someone who's called the Elder. Now the language and style of all three of these works are identical to each other and to John's Gospel. And so most people think that all of them come from the disciple that Jesus loved. Now that could be John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve apostles, or it could be another John among Jesus' earliest disciples known as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, he's now in his old age and he's overseeing a network of house church communities that are likely around the city of ancient Ephesus. Now from clues within the gospel and from these letters, it seems that these communities were made up mostly of Jewish followers of Jesus and that they had recently gone through a crisis that motivated John to write these letters. 
He mentions that a group of people have broken off from these churches. These people no longer acknowledge Jesus as Israel's Messiah or as the Son of God. And they're stirring up hostility among those who stayed faithful to the churches. In fact, 2nd and 3rd John clearly address this conflict. 2nd John is a warning to a specific house church. There are people who deny Jesus. John calls them deceivers. And they're probably going to come looking for validation or support. And this church community is not to offer any. 3rd John is actually written to a member of one of these house churches, a man named Gaius. And the elder asks him to welcome legitimate missionaries who are going to arrive soon. He has to tell him to do this because the leader of that church community, Diotrephes, is acting like a jerk. And he's rejecting anybody associated with John the elder. And so these letters give us a window into the tension and conflict that John faced in these churches. And 1 John was written as a response to all of this as a form of damage control. The elder assures those who still believe in the Messiah, Jesus, that God is with them as they adhere to the truth. And so all of this helps us understand the uniqueness of 1 John, which is actually not a letter at all. It reads more like a poetic sermon sent to these churches. John says that he's not communicating new information. In fact, almost all of the key ideas and words in 1 John come right out of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of John. And so John's goal is to remind them and persuade these Christians to stay true to what they already say they believe. The poetic quality of John's sermon is really cool. He doesn't develop his ideas in a linear or logical way. Rather, he uses a well-known technique of ancient rhetoric called amplification. So John has just a few core ideas he wants to communicate about life and truth and love. And he's going to cycle around these ideas repeatedly, each time offering a little bit different of an angle or emphasis. He uses a lot of hyperbole. He uses very stark contrasts with simple images of light and dark and love and hate and good and evil. But don't let the simplicity of 1 John fool you. This work is deeply profound. There's a clear introduction to 1 John and then a clear conclusion. And the flowing cycles of the sermon in between these two don't follow any kind of rigid literary design. But there do seem to be two larger sections. Each one is marked off by the introductory phrase, this is the message. And then each is followed by a repetition of images about how God is first light and then how God is love. And all of the ideas in these two parts flow out of and cycle back into these two core ideas. So the introduction is very similar to the prologue of the Gospel of John. It has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 8. John speaks of the word of life that was with God in the beginning. For John, the word God refers to both the Father and the Son, who came to bring life into the world. And so those who saw and heard and touched the Son are called we. John's referring to himself and the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so now we have a message for you the next generation of Jesus' followers. So when the apostles share the word of life with others, these others are also brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son through the apostles. The word fellowship here is koinonia in Greek. It means a participation or sharing. When people hear the message about Jesus through the apostles, that message brings them into a real relationship with Jesus himself and into a real participation in God's own love and life. And so this flows right into the first main section. This is the message. God is light. This is the message of the apostles that the God revealed in Jesus is light. And so 
if people want to participate in God's own life through Jesus, they need to keep walking in the light, which is a really cool image, but what does it mean? It means, for John, to keep Jesus' commands. And that's hard, so when you fail, Jesus' atoning death will cover for your sins. And then once again, you're called to get up and obey Jesus' teachings. But which one of his teachings? John reminds the churches of Jesus' old-slash-new command given to the disciples at the Last Supper, that they love one another as he loved them. Doing this is walking in the light. Now, if God's light is now shining through Jesus, then that means the world's darkness is passing away, which also means that God's children already in this moment have victory over the sin and evil and death that reigns in the world. And so that leads John to challenge the churches, don't love the world, because it's passing away too. He's referring here specifically to pride and sexual corruption. Likely, these are problems connected to the conflict that was happening in the churches. And so this leads John to warn the churches about these people who have left the communities and who deny Jesus as the Messiah. John calls them the anti-Messiahs and deceivers, but he's confident that those who still know the truth about Jesus are, in fact, the true children of God, and they are loved by the Father. And they show that they're part of God's family when they do righteousness and when they love one another, unlike the deceivers who are generating anger and strife and division. And so this transitions into the second main section of the sermon. This is the message of the apostles, John says, that God is love. And so God's children should love one another and avoid hatred. Don't be like Cain from Genesis chapter 4, John says. His hatred led him to murder his brother. But for Christians... Love is defined by giving up one's life as a sacrifice for the well-being of others. That's what Jesus did. And when God's children trust in that love for them, it changes them. And so John warns once again of the deceivers. This time he calls them false prophets. When they deny Jesus is the Messiah, they apparently claim to speak for God. But John says to test the spirits. If anyone claims to speak on God's behalf, but doesn't focus on Jesus as the crucified Son of God, they do not speak for God, John says. God's true children will center their whole lives on the crucified and risen Jesus, because that's where we see God's true heart revealed. We see on the cross that God is a being of total self-giving love. And that love is what compels Jesus' followers to love others in the same way. And when people meet this God of love, it does away with fear and angst forever. Which is part of what John means by having victory over the world. When you realize that God so loves you, that he is crazy about you despite your deepest flaws and failures, that love becomes the thing that grounds your entire life. This love is what comes through trusting in the crucified Jesus. It comes through trusting God's testimony about Jesus given by the Spirit, and it's trusting in the message from the apostles about Jesus. And when God's love gets a hold of you, it opens up eternal life. It's a life permeated with God's own presence and life and love, and it begins now carrying on into eternity. And so this leads John to the climactic conclusion of his sermon. He says, We know the Son of God has come, and so we can know the one who is true. And we are in the one who is true, in his Son, Jesus the Messiah. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, if your head's kind of spinning after hearing that sentence, and you're wondering, wait, who, 
is the one who is true? Who is the one who gives true life? Is it Jesus or is it God? And John's answer is, of course, yes. John doesn't know any God apart from Jesus. And when he and the other apostles encountered Jesus, they discovered the God who loves us so deeply that he has chosen not to exist without us despite our failures. And this God is so surprising, so unexpected, that John's final words call us to keep away from idols. That is, to resist any temptation to remake the surprising God in our own image. To know Jesus is to know the God of creative, life-giving, others-centered love. This, John says, is the one true God. And that's what the letters of John are all about. What a good and a fun video. I encourage you to go onto their website. It's the Bible Project. We've used that video with their permission. They've got some great resources to help us understand Scripture. Start with Scripture. Read Scripture first, but then resource yourself to read it better. As we close today, I want to pray with us. and Specifically, I want to pray with you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you're sitting there watching this video right now, and you are not sure of your salvation. You don't know that you are a son of God. You don't know that you are in God and have fellowship with God. Some of those bits we read a little bit earlier. I would so love to pray with you that you may know that you believe in Jesus, that you have eternal life, that you have the son of God and that you have life. I would love to pray with you if that is you. You see, our lives don't change. That very first verse, whoever is born of God. We become born of God. It's not something that it happened by default. We don't evolve into a Christian. There is a moment when we are born. There is a moment when our life gets turned around. There is a moment when we put our faith in Jesus and we become born of God. And so today, if that's you, if you're unsure, if you've ever had that moment, then with all the love and grace in my heart, I want to share to you that you probably haven't. You know, you will know if you haven't... If, you will know if you've had an experience with Jesus. You will know if he's touched and begun to transform your life. You will know that you have been born again. And so I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to invite all of us to pray together. And perhaps you're praying this for the first time. If you have the freedom to do it, pray it out aloud with me as we pray together. And we say, Jesus, would you come and give me eternal life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we Thank you today for your word, which was given so that our joy may be full. That this message was written to us, that we may know and understand your ways. Thank you that today you have breathed, as you always do, life over your word. That it brings life to our mortal flesh. God, I pray for every person right now whose heart is beating because they know that you are knocking on their door. And right now, Jesus, we choose to let you in. There where you are, if you're praying that, just take a moment in your own words and invite Jesus. Say, God, I choose to put my faith in you. I want to follow you. Jesus, that you are the son of the living God, the risen from the dead. And so, Jesus, even as we pray that, we choose to follow you, to know you, to enter into the eternal life to which you have called us. Lead us in righteousness. Lead us away from sin. We know the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But we are of you. And so 
Holy Spirit, continue to lead us in truth and in righteousness for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, for praying with me. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, you've committed your life to Christ. Or alternatively, you just you want to grow in your relationship with Him. You want to grow as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. At the bottom of this video, in the, sort of the, the description section, there's a link where you can fill in your details. I'd love to contact you, to speak with you, to pray with you, to help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. May God continue to bless you, pour His grace upon you and your families on this Mother's Day, on this special day, this precious day. May you grow in grace as you seek His face in this week. And little children, keep yourself from idols. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.